Yeah, as Jonathan said, he's the pastor of the church. I am an elder at Emmanuel Church, and it really is a privilege, it's humbling and honor to be able to deliver God's word. It's my first time, and I am nervous, so I apologize for any of my uh, weird verbal tics or any of those sort of things, but it was really an interesting thing when Jonathan, you know, assigned me this, this passage to preach on and said, I want you to preach on the core value of love, and as I dove into the text, God was definitely teaching me things that I didn't know before, and so I am excited to share those with you. It also became very clear to me that there's probably no one in this room that needs the message more than I do, and so I guess that that makes it fitting that I would deliver it, and hopefully uh, you can help hold me accountable to following the message that, uh, that I bring. So please join me in prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you with the appropriate reverence and awe because you indeed are holy. Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless this church, Lord. We pray that indeed we were operating with your wisdom when we set up the foundations of this church and our core values and our statement of faith and all of those things, Lord. Help us to hold true to those things that you've called us to. Most importantly tonight, love, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me, regardless of what I prepare and what I plan to say, Lord. I pray that uh, you would speak through me, that people would hear a message that you have created specifically for them. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me start by just giving you a little bit of context for those of you who may not remember. John 13, 34, and 35. This is happening in the upper room right after the disciples and Jesus shared the Last Supper, or at least what we call the Last Supper. I don't know what they called it that, but what we've come to know is the Last Supper, and they're sitting in the room, and Jesus had just told John who was going to betray him. Judas had got up and left, and Jesus told him to go and do what he was going to do quickly. It was a very tense time, I think, for the disciples, and it's right after that Judas leaves that Jesus begins what I think it's called by most his farewell discourse. Your Bibles might say that that starts in verse, or chapter 14, but I think it really starts here at the end of chapter 13, and it seems to run right through the end of chapter 17. It's a really long passage, and I think it shows just the seriousness of the situation that was going on, that Jesus took that long to share these thoughts with his followers. And this is how he starts in verse 33, right before our passage. And I apologize up front to those who really want to look at the Scripture at every reference. I'm going to be in a lot of Scripture passages. And you're not going to have time to stay up with me, but if you take notes, you can read them later. But I will read them all. In verse 33, right before our passage, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. The disciples have been with him for three years. They've gone everywhere that he's gone. Very rarely did he go anywhere without them, and when he did, they usually went looking for him because they really didn't know what to do without him. You see, they were known as his disciples because they followed him. That was really how people knew who his disciples were. Those were the group of guys that went everywhere Jesus went. He went to a town, they went to a town. He went to someone's house, they went to someone's house. And he's now telling them that he's not going to be around. We see him kind of playing the role of father as he says, my little children or my dear children, depending on the version you're looking at. And what's interesting is, And according to all the commentaries I look at, and please don't mistake me for a Greek scholar, I am not, but the commentaries I looked at were all in agreement that this is the only time in the Gospels that you see this phrase used. 
Also, the only time within Scripture that you see it used, except for John using it again in 1 John in his epistle. And so I think that's noteworthy that this is really Jesus being very tender with his disciples, acting as a father, calling them his dear children. And so he's playing the role of father. And right after our passage, I think we see Peter kind of playing the role of of one of the children. Because Peter then says, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. And Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow now? And I think any of us who have been children, I know everybody in the room has been a child, so that's a safe analogy, that's ever been left somewhere, at home alone or, you know, at someone else's house by your parents, you know what that feels like. Maybe that was too long ago for some of you to know what that feels like, and then some of you maybe can think about what it's like as a parent to leave your children behind. And what do you do? And I was thinking about what do I do when I leave for a couple of days, and I'm actually leaving Monday for a short business trip, and when I leave, I usually say to my children some things like, don't fight, be nice to your sister, listen to your mother, be helpful around the house, things like that. And that's when they're being left in good hands with their mother. When we get a rare chance for Carrie and I to both go out, the instructions are usually a little bit more, you know, a little more, more angst, you know, please don't fight, please listen to your brother, he's in charge, listen to your sister, she's in charge, go to bed on time, clean up the kitchen. You leave them with instructions, right? You know that your children need instructions. They've been with you for X number of years. They've been watching. They know what you want. But it's good to leave them with some instructions. So this is where we find Jesus now. He's on his way to leave, and he wants to leave them with some instructions. So I think these are really important words. So what are the words that he left them with? That's our sermon text for today. Let's read it one more time. Because it's short, I have the ability to do that. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus takes his first words, his first chance to give his disciples some instruction as he's leaving. And he says, love one another. So I think we want to take that pretty seriously. But I couldn't get past the starting words of that, which is a new command. Why is it a new command? It seemed a little odd to me. So I wanted to look into that. Well, I started thinking, like I said before, they were known by his disciples because they followed him everywhere. So their old command was, follow me. We see in the same book of John, in chapter 1, verse 43, when he calls Philip, we see the text just says, he says, follow me. That's what we have the quote from Jesus, follow me. And and Philip does. He follows him. So that was his old command. His new command is, love one another. So if you think of Philip as, you know, somebody who who works for somebody or is maybe a military person. He has one command, now he's got a new command. Okay, that makes sense. Could be a new command in that way. But I thought there was more to it. So I kind of dug a little deeper and went and looked at Leviticus 19.18. That's where we first see the command to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the second half of Leviticus 19.18 says. Love your neighbor as yourself. So loving others is not a new command. Why is this a new command? And it seems to me that the reason this is a new command is because of how the explanation is given for us to love. In Leviticus, we're to love others as we love ourselves. In John chapter 13, we're to love others as God has loved us, as Jesus has loved us. So that's a big difference. I don't know about you, but there are times when I don't love myself, when I'm very frustrated with myself, when I think, why did I make that mistake again? Why am I not smart enough to learn how to do this? Or whatever the case may be. So we're going from loving others in an imperfect manner, 
but doing the best we can, to loving those the same way that Jesus loved them. That's a huge change, I think, and that's why it's a new command. John was a young man when this all happened. Most records would say that John was probably a teenager when he was following Jesus around. And we can see that this new command really impacted his life. Because when I went to look and say, okay, what kind of commentaries do I want to read on John 13, 34 to 35? I found that a lot of people agree the best commentary on John 13, 34 and 35 is the book of 1 John. And maybe 2 John. He wrote those letters to explain to Christians how important it is to follow this new command and what this new command looks like. In 1 John 2, 8 and 9, he says, Yet I am writing you a new command. Again, the same Greek word that he used when he was quoting Jesus. I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anybody familiar with John's writings, his gospel and his three epistles, know John likes to use the analogy of light. uses it a lot. And I think here we can equate light to Jesus, to God's presence, and maybe even to love throughout the epistle when he talks about walking in the light, living in the light, because he routinely equates living in God and living in love as the same thing. In his three letters, interestingly enough, he never talks about the love of Jesus. He talks about the love of the Father. And I think that's because John had a very clear understanding when he was his disciple of who Jesus was when Jesus left this earth. He knew, he had no doubt that Jesus was, in fact, God himself, God's Son and fully God. So I think we've kind of understood we have a new command and what the command is. Our command is to love one another, and we're to love one another as Jesus loved us. So the next question I have is why? Why do we have this command? Well, Jesus says in verse 35, the second verse of our text, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is how Jesus tells his disciples they're going to be known now. Not as physical followers of his, in his presence, but as followers of his command in his absence. They're going to be known by their love. This is a very serious command. And again, I talked about how John took this very seriously and how 1 John is written to explain this command. I encourage everybody, if you have the time this week, to read 1 John. It's fairly short, five chapters. You can throw in 2 John and 3 John if you want. They're even shorter. But let's look at a couple of passages in 1 John. 1 John 3.10 says this. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. John 3.14, just a few verses later, says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And finally, the very famous passage in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. John illustrates this point, both the positive and the negative. So we see here, it's not just that those who love belong to God, it's that those who don't love do not belong to God. So as Christians, I think we need to take that command very seriously. Loving God, I'm sorry, loving others 
as God has loved you is the true mark of a Christian. I think that's what we see in this passage in verses 34 and 35. He says, you will be known by loving others the way I have loved you. Loving others as God loves you is the true mark of a Christian. So we understand what we're to do and we understand why we're to do it. But now we need to understand how we do it. What does it mean to love like God loves? What does it mean to love like Jesus loved? So again, we don't need to go too far to find an example. And I know some sermons are full of illustrations of people in far off lands or personal stories from people's lives. Um, I found there was enough illustrations right here in a few chapters of John and, and in the first part of 1 John that I didn't really go any further. And if we look in John chapter 13, the beginning of the chapter where we pull our sermon passage from, we see a very famous scene where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Again, in the upper room, the scene of the Last Supper, Jesus comes in and he washes the disciples' feet. I think we see when we read through that passage that this experience was uncomfortable for some of the disciples. Particularly Peter, again, always seems to be the one. He says he doesn't even want to accept the token of love that Jesus is trying to show. He doesn't even want him to wash his feet. He thinks it's below him. Well, Jesus eventually does finish washing all the disciples' feet. And then he says this in chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So do we need an example of how to love like Jesus loved? He gave us one and then said as much. I don't think it's particularly hard to understand. I don't think this whole passage is really that hard to understand. It's really hard to do is what it is. So we see that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Okay, are we supposed to copy Jesus? Are Christians supposed to be known for feet washing? Should we have had a station set up when people came into the church to wash their feet? I would say no. But I would say that we're called to love like Jesus did in the same sort of way. And how did he love? In a way that was humbling and humble in a way that was not based on pride, in a way that did not set him apart to receive earthly glory, and not in a way that tried to put him above anybody else. He was loving in a very simple way. And near the end of the sermon, I have an example, a real-world example of how that's worked out and why that's important, but I wanted to stick with a couple of scripture passages right now. And the farewell discourse, as I said, ran runs from the end of John 13 to John 17. In the middle, in John 15, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And some of you may be wondering why I chose the picture that's up behind me. Um, that's why. And in the middle of that discourse, in verses 12 through 14 of John 15, he says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I know, it's getting kind of repetitive, but that's what I found when I read the scriptures. Jesus is really driving this point home. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Of course, Jesus literally, not very long after this, laid down his life for his friends. And for us. Because we too, if we follow what he commands, are his friends. And I don't think Jesus is necessarily calling 
all of his followers today to lay down their life, although maybe some. But consider how this carries on from the washing of the feet. What kind of love this is. What kind of servant attitude this is. Considering others to be better than yourself. That's really the only way that someone would be willing to die for someone is that you actually believe them living is better than you living. And that just couldn't help but make me think of this passage in Philippians, going outside of John. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And I think the NIV says it particularly well in, in this case where it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's Christ Jesus' mindset? We just saw it. Laying down his life for his friends. Washing their feet. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, once again, I think there's more we need to know. We know what we were told to do, love one another. We know why, because that's how we're known as his followers. We even now know how we're supposed to love in a very sacrificial way. We're supposed to consider others better than ourselves. We're supposed to be willing to do the jobs that are degrading, the ones that are humbling, the ones that don't give us earthly glory. But how can we possibly love like that? Well, I think to get that answer, all we have to do is slide back in chapter 15 from where I read about a greater love, or the greatest love being laying down your life for your friends. John 15, starting in verse 1. Listen to these words. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So frankly, I don't think that I could have got up here and said any better how it is that we're supposed to love like this. How is it that we're supposed to love? What do we need to do? It was said, I think, seven times in this passage, remain in him. You know, the last two sermons that you heard, if you were here, our last two core values that we talked about, the Bible and prayer. Those are the two most practical ways that Christians can remain in him. Through reading his word, through spending time in prayer. 
The image of the vine and the branches that you see on the screen and that you can probably picture in your head is a very powerful image. I mean, I think we can all understand the real direct connection between a healthy branch and its connection to the vine. We see what happens when branches get broken a little bit, they, de- they get disconnected, they wither, they die, they fall to the ground. It's really, really important for Christians to remain in Christ, to remain in God. It's just as important as it is for a branch outside to remain a part of the vine or the tree that it's attached to. I don't know if we always believe that. I know that there's a lot of times when I can do a lot of things forgetting to involve God in the process, forgetting to spend time in prayer, forgetting to spend time in the Word, but just rushing off to do the work that I see that needs to be done. And if that work isn't being done in love, well, we know what that means because we read through 1 Corinthians 13. So I think now we've come a little bit full circle and we've seen what we're to do. We're to love one another. Why we're to do it? Because that's our mark as Christians. Loving others as God loves you is the mark of a true Christian. We see how to do it by the example Jesus set for us, washing the feet, laying down our life, considering others to be better than ourselves, having that same attitude and mindset that Christ had when he gave up divinity and the powers of heaven to come and live as a man on earth. But now I want to know what difference does it make? What difference does it make if we do all these things? Well, I think it's actually the love that makes Christianity attractive. I think it's the love that ultimately opens the door to the gospel. I think it's love that actually wins people to Christ. I don't think that it's any more complicated than that. I think that's really what draws people is to be loved unconditionally because they don't get that anywhere else. They get that from God and hopefully from his followers. There's no other place to find unconditional love. There's no other place to find people who love like we saw in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to read again 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3 to start. If I speak with the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Without love, nothing else we do matters. Basically, Paul's saying it doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter if you gave up your entire life to serve the poor. If you did it without love, it was worthless. So now's the time for that one story that I told you about. And it was a really impactful story to me. I read it years ago, and it took me a while to find it. But I wanted to share it with you because I think it really drives home this point. You see, there was a doctor and a nurse, highly trained, that went to Asia, and they wanted to treat patients in a notorious prison hospital. It took a lot of time, but they finally got permission to go in. But they were forbidden to share the gospel, 
and they were extremely limited in what, if any, medical care they were allowed to provide. But they went away, not discouraged. They realized that when they were in there, the smell of the place was absolutely horrible. The ward was dirty. The toilets were filthy. Matter of fact, they could only stay an hour before they felt like they were going to pass out. So they decided that for their next visit, they weren't going to bother trying to be a nurse and a doctor. But they were going to clean. So they asked a local church to help them, and they gathered supplies. They went in, and they cleaned the ward. They cleaned the toilets. They scrubbed everything down. Smelled pretty good in there. You see, the gospel was not proclaimed that day in words, but in love. And you know what happened? The authorities were overwhelmed, and they allowed them to go back in to treat the prisoners as a doctor and as a nurse, and they gave them complete freedom to speak about Christ. So the question is, what are we doing in our lives to overwhelm people with love? Please join me in prayer. Father, we are broken vessels. Lord, we are imperfect. Lord, apart from you, we truly can do nothing that matters. We are very limited. Very, very limited, Lord. But Lord, I do believe that if we can remain in you, that you, as promised, will remain in us. Lord, help us to be devoted to prayer. Help us to be devoted to your word. Help us to focus on the things that matter, Lord things that matter. Lord, I believe that as, as a body of followers here in Westford, in Cornerstone Church, if we can practice well the value of love, if we can be marked as your disciples by loving others the way that you have loved us, that we will not have room in these doors for the people that will come and join us. Lord, give us that strength, give us the ability, give us the perseverance to love like you have loved. Help us to be patient, help us to be kind, help us not to be envious or to boast or to be proud. Lord, may we not do things for self-seeking motives or for our own honor, but only to bring you glory. Lord, may we not be easily angered. May we not keep a record of wrongs. May we not delight in evil, but rejoice in truth. May we always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. Lord, may we not fail. Amen.